0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, understanding the reality of being hidden with Christ in God. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Thank you. Please pray with me. Lord, as we
1: pray in your name, we pray what we believe the Lord Jesus would pray if he was praying. And we do believe that the Lord Jesus would be praying that his children would be attentive to the word of God in these minutes. And that his servant would be totally reliant upon the Holy Spirit to preach through him. To the end, that Christ would be seen, reverenced, and obeyed. Grant it, Father, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend named Gord. Gord has lived a rather exciting life. He grew up as a missionary in a country in Africa that was at that time called the Congo. When Gord was young, still of elementary school age, his parents had to pack he, his twin brother, and his sister into the back of a pickup truck, cover them all with a tarp, say that they were playing a game of hide and seek, that they could not make a sound or get out from under the tarp until they were told to do so. And then their parents raced that pickup truck as fast as they possibly could to the border of Congo to exit the country that had just come under siege by violent Rebels. The children made it, only to find out later how much danger they had been in at that particular time in their young lives. I tell you that story because Gord and his twin brother and his sister were hidden in the truck with a tarp. Our verses for this morning are going to teach us that every true believer in Jesus Christ is hidden with Christ in God. You are hidden with Christ in God if you are saved. And we're going to look at what that means together in Colossians chapter three, verses one to four. Just as those children were hidden with each other in the truck, believers are hidden with Christ in God. In these verses, Colossians 3, 1 to 4, I see four things. A reality, an orientation, a safety, and a hope. A reality, an orientation, a safety, and a hope. The reality is that we are dead and resurrected with Christ. Look at the first part of Colossians 3, 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now the if is an if of certainty. So you could translate that if as a since. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ. First part of three. For you have died. First part of verse four. When Christ who is our life. The reality is, Christian. You are dead with Christ, the old you. You are alive and resurrected in Christ, the new you. That's the reality. The orientation in these verses is this, seeking and keeping our minds set on things above. The orientation that all believers should have by choice and discipline is that we seek things above and we keep our minds set on things above. See it with me in the second part of verse one and the first part of verse two. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, two. Set your mind on things above. So the orientation that God would have you to have, that God would have me to have, is that we seek things above and we set our mind on thinking about things above. The reality, The orientation, what about the safety? The safety is being hidden with Christ in God. See it there in the second part of verse three? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there's a reality, there is an orientation, there is a safety, and last, there is a hope. I see the hope in verse four, and it's this. The hope is that we will be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns the second time. When Christ comes for his second coming, you and I, who know him by faith, will be associated with him literally, visibly, bodily. That's our hope. Now to read all four verses to get the whole flow, Therefore, or, therefore, since or if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now let's go back to these four things, these observations from these four verses, and let's look at them individually. First, the reality, do you remember what the reality is? The reality is that we are dead and we are resurrected with Christ. If you're saved, there's an aspect in which you're dead and there's an aspect in which you've been made alive after death. And for Christians like us, Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is savior, but Jesus Christ is life. Jesus said, John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now think about this, if the old you has been crucified with Christ and that person has been crucified with Christ, the only life you now have left to live is Christ's life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is not only your Lord, he's your savior, and he's your life. That's the reality. Now, Galatians 2.20, I've shared with you often, but this tells us exactly what we're hearing in this point, the reality that we're dead and resurrected with Christ. Listen, Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote this when he was very much alive, and yet he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's your testimony, not just Paul's. If you are trusting Jesus for salvation, you have been crucified with Christ. It's not, no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And the life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself up for you. The reality, again, is that we are dead and we are resurrected with Christ. Picture it this way, when you go to a hospital or when you go to an office building and you get in an elevator, is it not that wherever the elevator goes, you go to? The elevator goes to the 11th floor, you go to the 11th floor. The elevator has one of those little hiccups where it drops about six inches suddenly. You drop about six inches suddenly your stomach, right? You are either all in the elevator and you go exactly where it goes or you are all out of the elevator. There's no partial here. You are either all in Christ if you're saved and if you're not yet
2: saved, you are not at all in Christ. And now today's personal God story. My testimony is one of God pulling me out of a slimy pit, as King David says in Psalms 40. You know, a slimy pit is something you can't get out of yourself. Someone has to lift you out, and that's what God did for me. I was born in Toronto, Canada. My mother, Lucy, was of Dutch and Jewish heritage, and my father was a refugee from Ethiopia. My parents met in a disco, and soon after, I was conceived. We lived in a government housing community where there was many people from Jamaican and Caribbean, African descent. And as I got older, I found my identity in the hip hop subculture. I loved rap music. Back then, hip hop wasn't as prevalent as it is today, and so you had to really go looking. I would record radio programs and television shows, anything that played hip hop. I would record it, and I would memorize the lyrics. Hip hop influenced so much in my life. It influenced the way I dressed, the friends I made, and it shaped my values. When I was seven, my parents ended up divorcing. Part of the reason they divorced was that my mother was really struggling with mental illness. When she was in a good mind state, she could manage me and my sister fairly well, but her mood could uh, go south anytime. At times she would talk to herself and go into her own world. And sometimes she became violent. So my home life was one of constantly being on edge. When I would spend a weekend at my grandmother's house, I could feel the anxiety raising up during the car ride home. As a teenager, I was drawn into many vices, many negative and harmful things. I was addicted to pornography, socially I would smoke marijuana, I was into gangster hip-hop, and I hung out with a group of people who were thugs and budding criminals. Spiritually I was dead. I took pleasure in sin, but there was no joy in my life and no peace. I had constant anxiety all of the time, and frequent depression. When I was only 15, I had my first anxiety attack. Well, my mother ended up committing suicide when I was 16 years old. I was angry, full of pain, but the way I handled it was I actually plunged deeper into the sin that I was in. I thought that if I had hardened myself, I wouldn't feel the pain anymore. I looked up to these rappers and people who seemed to be tough and had a a rugged exterior and I thought, They don't feel any pain. I want to be like that. Around that time, my house was somewhat of a hangout spot. A group of guys would regularly come over after school, after classes, and just hang out. One of those guys had gotten arrested, and his mother started to bring him to church, kind of like, oh, you better go to church, clean up your act. He invited me, but I told him no, I do my own praying and reading at home at the time, I had a uh, a respect for the Bible and Jesus, and I would have even claimed to be a Christian, but churches made me nervous and were intimidating. Everybody seemed so clean cut and uh, pure but you know, I felt shady and I gravitated towards shady individuals. About a week or so after his invitation, I was laying in bed at night and I was trembling. I had so much anxiety and depression, um, and I had a sense of dread and doom that eventually I would end up going down the same path as my mother. I thought I would lose my mind at any time. And at any point, I would start hearing voices. I cried out to God to save me, to help me. And it was as if at that moment, a light bulb went on. And I realized for the first time in my life that I was a sinner and that I needed to repent. I realized that although I claimed to be a Christian, there was nothing in my life to show it. I decided at that moment I would stop all my known sins and go in God's direction, whatever that meant. I found my friend who invited me to church and I told him I want to come to church with him. I also uh, found a guy who I had stolen from and I paid him back the money, the value of what I had stolen. Immediately my life took a different direction I had been converted. I had been born again. I had placed my trust in Jesus and received Him for everything God meant Him to be in my life. However, I st- still had to be discipled. The anxiety, depression, gangster, hip hop, pornography, etc., didn't leave right away. It was in the process of being discipled, of learning God's Word, of fellowship that those things started to, to leave. It was only when I obeyed God's word did I experience peace and joy. God brought many different people into my life to help disciple me and teach me about sexual purity, prayer, theology. A Few years after I was converted, I got involved in a ministry in Toronto called Urban Youth where we discipled young men from urban communities, and some of them coming out of prison. And this was a, a great time in my life of just growing, uh, learning ministry, and serving the Lord. I met Sarah, my wife, while she was studying at York University. We actually met on our church's young adult retreat. By God's grace, we got married in 2010, and We've been serving together in ministry and raising our two kids. And we continue to strive to grow in Christ daily. Looking back, I can agree with the psalmist who says in Psalms one nineteen seventy one, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. My name's Daniel Besaso and that's my testimony. When I think of some of my uh
1: favorite verses in God's word. I think of uh, Romans 8. I think of Romans 8 uh, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. There's a lot in this favorite verse. Uh, first thing is that God is the cause. Uh, we Worship and trust and serve a God who causes things to happen. And here it says he causes all things to work together for good. That does not say that all things are good. It says that all things are caused by God to work together for good. Look at it this way. If uh, you like chocolate chip cookies, uh, you might not like all of the ingredients that go into them if you ate them on their own. Salt, raw eggs, Etc. But when you mix the salt with the flour, with the raw eggs, with the sugar, with the chocolate chips, and then you mix them all together, you've got something good when you bake it. You've got chocolate chip cookies. And so we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To whom? To those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. That is believers. God causes all things to work together for good to his own children who are redeemed, his own uh, born-again believers. And they're called according to his purpose. It's interesting that uh, It's one purpose for each of us who are Christians. It's not multiple purposes. We are called according to one purpose, his purpose. And what is that? Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. His purpose for every Christian, one size fits all, to become conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is doing in your life. He's working all things together in the mixing bowl of your life experience to bring about one purpose, that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus, that you would become Christ-like. That's what God's up to. As your days roll into your weeks, roll into your months, and roll into your years, that's what God's up to. He is conforming you to the image of his son, and sometimes he uses salt, that if you eat it by itself, it's pretty raunchy. Sometimes he uses raw eggs. If you eat them by yourself, it's a little gross, but he's causing all things to work together for your good because you love him, and he's working to make you more and more to be like his son, Jesus. I want to share with you a, a favorite verse of mine. It's in Psalm 90, and it's verse 12. It's um great reminder to me often of what my life's perspective ought to be and in psalm 9012, it says so teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom uh, wisdom in the old testament hebrew thinking was not a set of facts that you learned uh, but rather wisdom to the hebrew mindset was skillful living And so I want to live skillfully. I I want to make my days on earth count. And so this verse helps me. It says, so teach us to number our days that we might present to thee a heart of wisdom. So the first thing I need to do if I want to live skillfully is know that I have a certain number of days. I don't have an unlimited number of days. In Psalm 139, it says that each of our days are determined by God in his book before any of us have even one of our days. That's a pretty staggering thought of how big God is. So I have, a, I have a finite number of days. God knows how many of those days are. I do not. So I need to live skillfully. I need to live in light of the fact that my days are ticking down, and that I need to make each one of them count. Um, I used to play basketball, and when the, our team was down toward the end of the game, we would put on a full court press. We would uh, aggressively attack those on the other side of the court that had the ball, even to the point of fouling them if necessary to try to force a turnover or to, a missed free throw so we could win the game. So. Psalm 90:12 is saying teach us asking God teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have a Bible passage in John chapter 10 that I want to share with you. It's one of my favorites. John chapter 10 Jesus is teaching his disciples and At verse 27, he says this remarkable uh, teaching. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I love those three verses because they teach that once a person is saved by God's grace, God keeps that saved person safe by that same grace. Grace saves, grace secures. Once saved, always saved. We cannot lose our salvation. We couldn't earn our salvation in the first place and we cannot make null and void our salvation either. God's grace saves us. God's grace secures us in that salvation. These are favorite verses of mine. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. If you've trusted Jesus to be your savior, It doesn't matter what you might have done by way of sinning after your conversion, you will never perish. Now that doesn't mean that you just sin willfully. It doesn't mean that you may lose some reward at the judgment seat of Christ, but you won't lose heaven. So these are favorite verses of mine because they teach that we are in Jesus Christ's nail-pierced hand safe, And as it were, God the Father's hand comes over Jesus' nail scarred hand that is holding you and me. And that double grip keeps us safe. What wonderful truth. Again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Once saved, always saved. When I think of favorite Bible verses, I think of a passage in Romans 8, starting at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Those are great verses. They tell us many wonderful things. God is for us. He's not against us. He's proven he's for us by not even sparing his own precious son, but allowing him to die for us that we would be, we could be redeemed, forgiven, adopted. And the verses say, you know, who's going to really bring a charge, an accusation against God's elect that will stick? Nobody, because God is the one who justifies us in the courtroom of heaven. And then it goes on to some very precious thoughts about the love of God for the believer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Skipping over verse 36, 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, those are opposites by the way, nor angels nor principalities, those are opposites, nor things present nor things to come, those are opposites, nor powers nor height nor depth, that's opposites, nor any other creative thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord The scriptures list all those opposites to say that neither one opposite nor another nor anything in between the two opposites will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And guess what? We also can't separate ourselves from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can mess up, we can sin, we can rebel, but that won't change God's love for us. God's love for us is unconditional that's an exceptional encouragement.
0: You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.